Welcome to Cleveland Clinic Cardiac Consult, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart and Vascular Institute at Cleveland Clinic. In each podcast, we aim to provide relevant and helpful information for healthcare professionals involved in cardiac, vascular, and thoracic specialties. Enjoy. Welcome once again to our vascular surgery uh, podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, today, we have with us David Hardy. He was a uh, former participant in this uh, forum. He's the Associate Program Director for our Vascular Surgery Fellowship Training Program. And we have uh, Dr. Tushar Vacharajani, who's a nephrologist, a staff nephrologist, recently joining our group here at the uh, Cleveland Clinic. And our topic today will be a discussion of uh, vascular access modalities, the patient population that we treat, and some of the ways that we manage this challenging patient population, a patient population that frequently suffers from not only renal disease, but also cardiovascular disease at elevated risk of heart attack, stroke, uh, heart failure, and other um, uh, cardiovascular disease conditions. So, uh, Dr. Hardy, we'll, we'll start out with you as a uh, Dr. Hardy's about five years out of training, and he was um, practiced outside of the Cleveland Clinic for several years. So what do you think the Cleveland Clinic offers in terms of vascular access uh, compared to what you see within the, the community practice? Thanks, Lee. So uh, as Dr. Kirksey mentioned, I did practice uh, in other places, and coming back what I value most about being in the Cleveland Clinic is our multidisciplinary approach. I know most people say that they perform um, surgery or take care of patients in a multidisciplinary approach, but this has been really um, very nice here. We've been able to um, have very close contact with our nephrology colleagues, our interventional, our interventional radiology colleagues, and then amongst ourselves as vascular surgeons, being able to take care of patients in an expedited manner. Because the, the, the point is you really want these patients uh, to miss as few days or dialysis days as possible, and we do the best we can uh, to see who can take care of them first to get them back in their normal schedule. Well, I'll tell you, one of the challenges I think that we all face in caring for these patients is you can segment them out into the acute patient that crashes onto uh, dialysis, hemodialysis, maybe previously undiagnosed or followed in a chronic uh, way, uh, but many times we need all hands on deck. The patients will be admitted to the heart failure service for their acute decompensation. There'll be nephrology con consulted to initiate hemodialysis for the patient, and then we have to think about what access points we'll use for their future hemodialysis. So, uh, mm -hmm. Tushar, you, you come from a, a different setting at Wake Forest. What do you notice about the the access community here? So, so you're you're right, uh, Dr. Kersey. I just moved in here from uh, Wake Forest University, and and the setup here is uh, so very different. It's it's definitely a multidisciplinary approach. The patients get uh, seen by the right specialty pretty quickly, and and as far as managing the vascular access, I mean, that really, which is, really is the lifeline for these patients who need dialysis, and planning the vascular access and making sure that the patient goes through the process uh, in a timely manner. So, as you were just mentioning about the crash landers, uh, these patients do have 
to start dialysis with a catheter, and the sooner we get the catheter out, it's, it's an ideal option for these patients. So uh, planning and executing the plan in, 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 in a timely manner is, is something that I have seen is unique at this hospital. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, 80% of patients will begin hemodialysis with a tunnel dialysis catheter. Probably a, a quarter of those folks maybe have a, a fistula or a graft that's kind of maturing, uh, but we know that all too frequently uh, we end up wanting to reduce the catheter exposure time period for these patients. So what are some of the approaches that you take to reducing catheter exposure, Dr. Hardy? So, so again, I'm actually surprised at the amount of patients that come to my clinic uh, working other places, uh, whether GFR is actually adequate and maybe I have time to create a fistula or a graft for these patients so that they don't, they're not exposed to these uh, tunnel catheters. So I think um, what I've seen overall is we do a pretty good job getting these patients in to see the surgeon uh, to create an access first. Uh, before they even uh, are on the radar for dialysis. Uh, the other thing, I guess the options I use uh, to try and get these patients' uh, catheters out, um, there are multiple. We have patients who have multiple dialysis accesses. Uh, these patients need very complex revisions. Uh, we have grafts that we can use that are early access grafts if these patients have limited access or need to be stuck right away, and we can get the catheters out. And, um, and I think overall we just have great follow-up with these patients that get their dialysis um, grafts and fistulas so that we can have them out as soon as possible, their catheters out as soon as possible. So, so for the, for the uh, vascular surgeons or cardiologists or nephrologists viewing this podcast, what are, what are your preferences for early access? There are a number of different graft types that have been used for early access. What's your preference? So specifically early, or specifically early graft types. Yeah. Uh, the Accusil, uh, I don't know if we can use product names, but it's, a, it's a, just a proprietary trilaminar design where you can put the graft in. Uh, typically it's a brachial axillary graft or a looped forearm graft or kind of what I start off with depending on the patient's anatomy. And these patients can use this in theory the next day, but some have used it the same day if they needed to. Um, I've tried other, the other graphs. I mean, there were Flixine, Vectra, there are many other ac early access devices, but I think the, I stick with Accusil at this point. I've had really good results. Dr. Rajani, uh so this patient population come in with heart failure. What are some of the uh, services and the uh, treatment modalities that you guys have when you see this patient population that frequently have cardiorenal failure, how do you guys manage this patient group? So these, these patients uh, who have chronic kidney disease, they are very prone to a heart disease, and those patients who start off with a heart disease are very likely to have chronic kidney disease uh, downstream, down the road. So uh, very often these patients do present with volume overload and heart failure and they do have uh, advanced uh, kidney disease. These patients, if they are very close to needing dialysis, there are different modalities of dialysis that can be offered, uh, which is where working as a team really makes uh, a huge difference. Uh, these patients often require uh, admission to the 
uh, intensive care unit where they get slow dialysis or continuous renal replacement therapy until they're hemodynamically stabilized, and then they get transitioned over to uh, intermittent hemodialysis, which is what most patients receive on a long-term chronic maintenance uh, therapy. And, and, and if the patients really cannot handle uh, any form of hemodialysis, then uh, sometimes we do consider peritoneal dialysis, which is more gentler on the heart and easier to manage for the patients at home. Uh, so these are various kinds of dialysis modalities that can that are offered uh, to these patients, and along with this, uh, uh, a team of nutritionists help these patients to understand how diet can be controlled and how to be compliant with medications and other uh, appointments. Yeah. I know we also have a relatively large group of international patients that that come from, you know, the uh, Emirates and uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, and these patients are evaluated simultaneously for not only their heart failure and potential cardiac condition, but they're also evaluated for renal transplantation, and I think that's a service that's, that's very valuable. Yeah, that's, that's a unique uh, offering here at this institute where uh, patients, if they're eligible for transplantation, they are worked up and, and, and they are offered transplant, uh, not only uh, a, a living donor transplant as far as kidney is concerned, but they can also be uh, included into an exchange program with other recipients who have donors but may not have a matching uh, donor. So with the, these patients are pooled together and they participate into an exchange renal transplant program. And, and then the last thing I might comment on is there's a tremendous number of patients that are followed within the chronic kidney disease registry. At last count, I think I heard over 4,000 patients are being followed, and I think that's probably a testament to the group's ability to follow patients. Historically, we said that patients should be referred when they have a GFR of 25 to 30, but I know you guys are able to medically manage very appropriately patients down to lower GFRs, and so that's outstanding. Yes, we have, we have a large number of providers within our group, and we cover most of the Northeast Ohio region where these services are provided. And, and not only we try to keep the patients uh, as far off from dialysis as possible, but if they are inching towards dialysis, then we try to transition, make their transition much more smoother. So, uh, Dr. Hardy, so we have the patients that, are, that will need primary access, and fortunately, I think our skills are adequate and sufficient that if we get those patients in, we preserve their veins, we create fistulas, we have a, in our department at last count probably about an 85% rate of primary fistula creation in, in these uh, um, incident patients. So for the prevalent patient group, it's another story. We see a lot of patients that come from outside institutions that have had multiple other access accesses created. So what are the, some of the challenges that you face with managing secondary access within the prevalent patient population? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It, 
That's a great question. It is a, it is a challenge indeed. Uh, you have patients coming with no operative reports, and, and you're basing a lot of this treatment off of their anatomy and the scars that are on their arm and just some of their, their history. And, and honestly, these patients, and rightly so, a lot of times don't know what has been done because maybe they've had 25 procedures on these fistulas and grafts to keep them running. So uh, I mean, that's just a challenge in itself, but I mean, these patients show up with uh, occluded grafts and fistulas, um, which actually I think as a group are pretty good at getting those patients in early, getting them back open. These patients have aneurysmal disease. They've been stented in many different areas. So, I mean, just those things uh, provide a challenge, and, and I think that is a challenge that we like to accept, and I think we do a pretty good job with it. So what's your, what's your typical workup for the patient? that presents de novo, no records is, is commonly the case. Mm-hmm. What is your radiographic workup? So I, so I kind of treat those patients like they don't have an access at all almost. I mean, I know I, they have scars in their arm, but I will um, usually I get a history and physical exam like we would with any patient, uh, perform an ultrasound. And a lot of times I have an ultrasound in the clinic that I ultrasound the arms myself because uh, I kind of know what I want to look for in a vein. And then if they do have what appears to be adequate vein, at least for a graft, maybe if not for a fistula, I typically will perform a venogram on these patients. And that, that in, it's a pretty simple procedure where we put an IV in the hand or arm and um, perform an angiogram with a fluoroscopy unit, uh, figure out if the outflow, the inflow, and the veins are fine to create an access. Yeah, I can, I can tell you, to a person, if they've had previous access mm-hmm. and they have surgical scars, I'm getting a, a venogram. I yep. want to see their, discern their anatomy. Absolutely. And especially for these folks that have had multiple previous catheters, you also want to know if they have central, central vein stenosis. Right. Uh, so I, I think that's uh, really important. Uh, Dr. Vatrajani, so you worked in a setting where you had an OBL and... What do you think are the difference, differences that you might distinguish between the settings where these patients are taken care of? So the setting where I worked uh, initially before moving into this hospital was an outpatient setup, and it was at times very difficult to coordinate care. Uh, there are limitations of, of the kind of procedures that can be performed in an outpatient setting. Uh, a lot of these patients are very sick, and it's, it's ideal to have some of these procedures done in a setting where all the team players are available in case of an emergency or in case of a complication. So moving the patients fr- uh, either while doing a procedure in an outpatient setting, if there's a complication, moving the patient to a hospital that you lose time, it, it, it can often lead to major uh, complications downstream again. And, and, and in all said and done, uh, it, it may not be in the best interest of the patient, whereas here everything is available under one roof and, and uh, things can be handled pretty quickly. I mean, that's the biggest uh, uh, difference I have noted. And, and I think... This, I, I think the, this setting, whether it's main campus or some of the regional facilities, provides kind of a hybrid opportunity for patients that are stratified as requiring some type of outpatient procedure. That setting is available for patients that require more complex, multidisciplinary. Uh, I think we can merge those, those two service lines together. Um, 
and uh, I think that's easily that how allows patients to be more easily managed. So then maybe we can move on to the next topic of this new idea of percutaneous vascular access. Um, there's a lot of discussion within respective communities about how this may evolve and change how we manage these patients. So, Dr. Bhattarajani, maybe maybe you can describe this percutaneous access to start us off. So this this is a very novel tool and a new technology to create an uh, AV fistula. Uh, it, it, it is an endovascular procedure where two catheters are used. A catheter is placed in the artery, a catheter is placed in the vein. There is a magnet that, when activated, brings the two catheters together and then by uh, introducing uh, current through that uh, electrode, uh, an AV fistula is created. So essentially, there is no scar on the skin. Uh, patients have to be selected. Not every patient will be uh, ideal for such a procedure, but certainly it's, it's a novel tool. Uh, the early results have been very encouraging, and uh, I think very soon we are going to offer this procedure here uh, at this institute. Absolutely. So we're capable and, and have all of our uh, processes and uh, items in place to perform this procedure. So, and even in this short period of time, we've seen the system evolve from a six French system to a four French system. And so clearly the technology is, is taking off and capable of uh, offering something new to patients. Uh, so Dr. Hardy, what are your, some of your thoughts about this technology, where it might fall into your care? This is a technology that is novel. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think it'd be great to offer select patients for sure. And, um, and, and that is the key, looking at the correct patients, because there are a set of patients that would potentially, if you perform this procedure, lose a lot of forearm access if uh, these patients had great forearm uh, AV fistula options. And I think in our, in our department and our system here, everyone understands that, and our goal is to get the most life out of a patient's uh, um, dialysis access, because that really is their lifeline, and we want to extend that as long as possible. So I think this will be a novel technique. I think it'll be a great thing to offer our patients, but, um, but there will still be patients that will benefit more from an open procedure. I, I think some of the uh, nuances of the procedure, a, a couple things. N number one, depending upon patient body habitus, this may require an evolution and cannulation technique yes. and partnering with the dialysis center so that everyone understands some of these territories which were previously thought to be off-limits in the antecubital where veins are already superficialized may enable these patients to be cannulated. <clears throat> Outside of the, that issue, there may be patients that, although it's a first-stage percutaneous procedure, the final superficialization or um, transposition, if you will, is, a, is an open surgery. I think there will also be some considerations down the road as we determine how we do secondary procedures and if we're burning some bridges in this first stage uh, or in this percutaneous approach when we're embolizing some of the uh, vessels that we would otherwise mm -hmm. use for secondary access, i.e. the brachial vein, which in many of these cases is deliberately embolized. So I think there, it's an exciting technology, and I think one of the things that we hope to offer here from the Cleveland Clinic is an experience of selection and who benefits most and uh, the appropriate access for 
tailored for that patient. If, if, if I may add, I mean, uh, as part of the National Kidney Foundation guidelines, we started off as fistula first, but now the new guidelines are very likely to be released soon, and, and the new guidelines fits in so perfectly with what we are already practicing yeah. here at Cleveland Clinic. It's the right patient. It's, first of all, creating a life plan for the patient. Yes. So that way we have planned for the next access before the first access fails. And yeah. then secondly, choosing the right access for the right patient for the right reasons at the right time. And, and, and that's where it fits in the early, early cannulation AV grafts. If the patient is ap appropriate and well-selected, then uh, even endo endovascular procedure might be a perfect solution. Uh, and, and, and most patients would still fit into getting an AV fistula, which will help them through and see them through many years of dialysis before hopefully most of them can get a transplant. I agree. That's, um, I think in these complex situations, and this is a complex population of patients with, for to creating dialysis, um, there are many options, and, and we just have to figure out what's the best option for them. And um, yeah. I think uh, to summarize, all, all too frequently we talk about the vascular access patient population as a homogeneous group of, of patients, but we really recognize that depending upon the age, depending upon the comorbidities of that uh, individual patient, that it's a spectrum of patients with different needs and it requires really a multidisciplinary group like we have assembled here to allow us to care for these patients best. So I appreciate you guys taking the time out to speak with us today. I one more comment. One more, one more comment. There's something I've noticed too that we have a, a hotline. I don't know if we even talk about that or that's. But uh, we we have people that are kind of manning a hotline, so to speak, and it disperses these uh, our patients who really have emergent need to be declotted or get their access open. And that seems to be a really good option because it's not only our main campus, but we have all of our um, surrounding hospitals with surgeons and interventionists that are able to open these patients' dialysis access. And I think that's another another critical part about um, how we manage. And that's 216-444-BAIN, uh, 216-444-BAIN. That's a good point and because we're able to get these patients in and stratify them for the acute needs and manage those acute needs or get them to uh, a surgeon or a nephrologist or an interventional radiologist in a timely fashion. So thanks for that mentioning that point. And thank you again for uh, tuning in to the Vascular Surgery uh, Podcast, and we'll speak with you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and share the link on iTunes.